Please be seated. And thank you, Matt, for leading us this morning. Uh, I'm so thankful for this opportunity to open God's Word uh, this morning uh, to us. It's such a blessing to do so. Would you go ahead and turn with me? We'll be in Mark uh, chapter 8 this morning. And as we begin, I I would just like to express uh, my deepest gratitude for you all uh, for these past two years. Like like Matt prayed, uh, Jess and I are getting ready to move to Joplin, Missouri, uh, where I've accepted a call to be a pastor there of Christ the King uh, Presbyterian Church. And so this is my last Sunday here as your assistant pastor. And it's uh, very uh, sad. Uh, it's hard to say goodbye. Uh, I'm just full of, full of gratitude and and of love, and I'm just so uh, thankful to be able to preach a, a farewell sermon, as it were, uh, is what we're doing this morning, and I have to admit it was hard uh, to decide what to preach. Um, I started thinking, and I was flipping through my Bible, and I, I thought I was going to preach something else today, but then I, I flipped to Mark uh, chapter 6. I, I came across this passage, sorry, Mark chapter 8, rather, uh, uh, and uh, this, this passage in Mark chapter 8 has had a significant impact on my own life. Uh, it's, uh, it's a lesson that I've, I've uh, had to, to learn, and I am still learning, and it became very evident that this would be the text that I should preach this morning. Because the lesson that we take away from this passage is a lesson that I, I keep needing to tell myself. I keep needing to relearn and preach to myself. And if I can put it simply... If I could put simply this lesson, the lesson is this. Levi, has God ever let you down? Levi, can you look back over the 30 years that God has given you and ever find a single instance, a single moment, where God's word failed you, where God himself has failed you, where he never was the loving Heavenly Father that he promises himself to be? Has Christ ever uh, been uh, demonstrated in your life or been found to be lacking in any way? To put it in the, the words of Joshua, I love that passage that Matt read for us. Have any of the promises of God failed me in particular? And if that's true, then why do I ever still doubt? Or why do I struggle with doubt or struggle with fear or worry? You see, that, that's my struggle, and I know we can all relate to it. Packing up, uh, leaving, moving, especially saying goodbye to family, saying goodbye to such an amazing church community, that's hard to do. It's very difficult. And there are moments of doubt, just to be completely honest. It's scary. But has God ever let me down? And as families, as individuals, and as the church, that's the question we all have to ask. This is not just making it all about me, but we ask this for, for all of us as, as families and as a church. That's the question before us now, and as we, we move to the text here, the question is, are we trusting in Jesus regardless of the circumstances, good or bad? You know, it's, it's, it's one thing to confess that we're sinners in need of a Savior. It's another thing to be trusting in that Savior in everything we have, in every circumstance, in every area of life. And so in this passage, we see and we find that the disciples, they're, they're in this similar, uh, similar situation. 
They've let their cares for the world distract them from Jesus and, and from what's most important. And so Jesus gives them these, these two commands that we'll see in this passage, that there are two things that they need to do. Jesus tells his disciples to watch out, and he tells them to remember. He says, watch out in the present, be, be mindful of what's going on, be, beware, be wary of what's going on, and also remember the past, remember God's faithfulness. And so if we remember God's past faithfulness, that will encourage us then in the present. So we see that going on here. Well, let me read this text now for us. Let's look at Mark chapter 8, and I'll begin in verse 1. Let's look there now. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to, to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with, with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them, and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that they also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, what does this generation, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, it is so often that we come to the text, we come to the words of Scripture, and, and we confess that we do not understand. Uh, we do not have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. And so by your Spirit, would you bless now the, the preaching of your Word. Uh, may you illuminate your Scripture to us. May we understand it. May uh, you uh, work on our lives and in our hearts. Uh, as, as I preach, uh, would you be preaching through me a better sermon? Uh, to these men and women, uh, the children here today. 
Uh, may we grow in Christ-likeness. May we grow in our love and in our fear and in our faith in you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we pick up the story as another great crowd is gathered around Jesus. We see that in verse 1. And again, Jesus has compassion on them because they have nothing to eat. And so he tells his disciples this, and they reply to him. We see in verse 4, his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Now, right away, our ears should prick up. And we think, come on, disciples. Don't you remember what Jesus just did a couple chapters ago? See, the similarities are distracting. So look back with me briefly at chapter 6 to this earlier miracle. This earlier miracle is is the feeding of the 5,000. That begins in verse 30. And so the disciples, they they have just returned to Jesus after being sent on a ministry journey. And Jesus says to them, come away by yourselves, verse 31, to a desolate place and rest a while. And so again, they're in a desolate place just like they are now in chapter 8. And we're we're told that Jesus back then, just as he is now, he also had compassion on this great crowd that had followed them and had gathered around them. And so notice what the disciples said back then. This is uh, chapter 6, verse 35. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. It's late. There's no food here. We need to send these people away. But Jesus tells them, No, you, you, you feed them. And then we have the, the miracle, then, of the feeding of the 5,000 with only five loaves of bread and two fish. What an incredible miracle! How could anyone forget what an incredible miracle? Now, if the disciples' lack of faith, if the disciples' lack of remembrance in Jesus' miracle and in his miraculous ministry was bad, let's jump back now to chapter 8. We already know that they had forgotten, seemingly. And Jesus does another miracle. He feeds another multitude of people, this time the 4,000. But notice in verse 11, we see the Pharisees come. And their lack of faith is even worse. And now uh, they approach Jesus, they harass him, they demand from him a sign. They say, we need a sign from you to prove that you are from God. And we can understand Jesus' response to them, can we not? It says that he sighed deeply in his spirit. Are you guys for real? (laughs) Have you not seen all the signs and wonders that I've already done? You see, not only has he fed these two massive crowds, multiplying food, but there are plenty of other signs and miracles along the way, up to this point, all of which have proved and demonstrated without a shadow of a doubt for those who were truly looking, truly wanting to see that he was the Christ. But you see, they weren't really looking to be proven wrong. And Jesus is aware of this. He does not give them a sign. But he leaves and he, he gets back into the boat with his disciples. And now we're, we're getting to the part of the passage here that I want us to focus on through the, for the rest of our time this morning. Because we're going to see in this passage 
That Jesus gives these, these two commands or these two instructions to his disciples. There are two lessons he's going to teach them. And these are lessons that, that we need to be taught as well. And so Jesus tells his disciples those, those two things, those two commands, to watch out and remember. He says, watch out, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. And then he'll go on to say, and remember all that I have done for you. So first, what are we watching out for? What, what does Jesus warn us against? Well, verse 15, let's look there now. He, uh, Jesus tells us plainly, verse 15, and he cautioned them, saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. So that's the first lesson. But what is, what is going on at this point that Jesus gives this warning to his disciples? Why does, why does Jesus say this here? Well, we're told in, in verse 10 that they had gotten into the boat and, and they're going to the other side of the Sea of Galilee and, and they get into the boat and, and then in Mark tells us in verse 14, he tells us that they had forgotten to bring any bread with them. They had only one loaf with them. And so now we, we stop again and we wonder, come on, disciples. You had seven baskets full of bread left over. Not one of you thought to bring any with you. And so Jesus warns them in the next verse. Verse 15. says, watch out, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. And we can, we can almost put ourselves in, in that scene and in that situation. The great rabbi just, just tells his disciples this instruction. Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And so we can picture Peter, he receives that instruction and he thinks to himself, yeah, watch out, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. What in the world does that mean? Well, speaking of leaven, I'm getting kind of hungry. <laughs> hey, James, did you bring any of that bread with you into the boat? James says, no, I didn't bring any with me. That was John's job. John says, I didn't bring any bread with me. Thomas, did you bring any bread with you? Thomas says, I doubt it. <laughs> Matthew was supposed to bring the bread with him. Matthew says, I'm a tax collector, not a bread collector. Surely there's some bread somewhere in this boat. You see, they completely miss the point. Jesus instructs them to watch out and beware the leaven of the Pharisees. But then immediately, verse 16, they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. Like, like herding cats, Jesus working with his, uh, his disciples here. They'd missed the point. They had forgotten who it was that was with them in the boat. And without even realizing it, they had already let this leaven that Jesus warned them about already poison and corrupt their way of thinking, causing them to doubt. So what exactly is this leaven of the Pharisees that Jesus warns us about? We know that this, this process, of, uh, process of using yeast to leaven bread, it's the same today as it was back then. It's the same process. And, and this metaphor of leaven is used all throughout Scripture to describe the poisonous and the destructive capabilities of false teaching and of sin. 
And that's what the leaven of the Pharisees is. That, and that of Herod, it was their false teachings. It was their hypocrisy. It was their, their way of life, their way of looking at the world, how they, how they reacted to Christ, what they viewed, how they viewed him. And just like yeast, it only took a small amount, only a little bit, and the whole lump of dough is affected. So what is Jesus warning them about here in particular? He says, don't be like the Pharisees. And we just saw in the context how they were being disingenuous, how the Pharisees came seeking a sign not to uh, submit themselves to Christ, but to test him. They wanted a Messiah who fit their lifestyle. They didn't want a Lord that demanded allegiance and change. And that's why Mark, he, he sandwiches uh, Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees in verses 11 through 13 in between these two other sections of teaching with his disciples, uh, something that Mark does all throughout his gospel. But it was a warning to his disciples not to be like the Pharisees. And it's a warning to all of us as we read this gospel. Like the Pharisees, the disciples were more concerned about their own well-being than they were about following Christ. Not only were they doubting if Jesus was able to provide for them again, but it it seems to us that they have even forgotten that he was there, sitting right next to him in the boat. And so we're forced to ask ourselves, have we let the worldly cares cause us to forget Christ? How quickly we can forget everything that the Lord has done for us. See, David, he understood this as he's writing Psalm 103. He writes, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Why does he have to write that? Why does the man after God's own heart have to write that, have to spend time contemplating and writing and speaking and singing about God's faithfulness to him? Because we're so prone to forget. So we daily and constantly, moment by moment, we need to remind ourselves to preach the gospel to ourselves, to to share it with our our neighbors and with our our family and with with the church, with, with those around us. We need to do all these things lest we forget all that Christ has done for us. We need to watch out. We need to beware, lest any amount of, of this leaven of the world, the leaven of the Pharisees, the leaven of, of doubt or false teaching or sin, whatever it might be, that it might come and infect us. There's, there's so many examples, so many applications of this, that, of, of what this leaven can look like in our own lives, and just thinking and considering just a, a couple examples. It truly does uh, matter who we spend our, our time with. And I know parents uh, and children have had these discussions. You have these discussions. You can't hang out with so-and-so, or you can't go do this or that. Well, why not? Well, because it's very important that you don't do so, because there's corrupting influences in the world. We can't be naive about the effect that those relationships and those things can have on us. And especially our children. A little leaven affects the whole lump. And we're called to watch out and beware of these things. That's so true with, with the content that we watch and that we consume. And I can be so guilty of this as well. We can lie to ourselves. We can let that little leaven, uh, that little lie in our ears that says, yes, this show is, 
uh, has a lot of violence, it has some nudity, but that stuff doesn't really affect me, so it's okay. <laughs> it's foolishness. Or we're called to watch out. We're called to beware. Lest any of the, uh, just a little leaven uh, takes hold and grows in our lives. That we make sure we don't let sin have any foothold in our lives. And all that is true. That, that part of, of watching out is, is, is really uh, an, a way of talking about the Christian life. That we, we flee from sin. We flee from temptation. We guard ourselves from this. But another aspect of this is, is our forgetfulness. And all these things can kind of play together. But this is what's going on here uh, with the disciples. They had become so distracted by their, their needs. Hunger, food, that is a proper need. But they become so distracted by this that they didn't even recognize, didn't even notice, didn't even consider Jesus' teaching. And just like Peter, when he began to sink in the water, uh, when we take our eyes off of Christ... And we lose sight of his goodness and we begin to doubt all that he has promised, that he will never leave us nor, for, nor forsake us. Then we also will begin to sink down. The, the waves of, of doubt will begin to crash over us. And so Jesus, he gives this first command. He, he warns us, he tells us to watch out. But it's so easy to miss that lesson, to let the cares of the world take hold of us. And so, like the disciples, we often miss the bigger picture. We let a little leaven of doubt sneak in. But thanks be to God that he provides us with another lesson. There's another thing that Jesus commands his disciples to do, and that is to remember. So we we see in the text, he tells them to watch out. They're discussing the bread, and then in verse 17... Knowing what they're discussing, Jesus comes to them, and he rebukes them. And it's in this rebuke that we get the second thing, the second lesson to remember. So look over at the text with me. Verse 17. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear? You see, Jesus asked them plainly, Why are you even having this conversation? This is not the conversation you need to be having. You see, at this time, not only has Jesus manifested himself and his power and his his, power, his miraculous ministry through different signs and wonders and miracles, not only has he done that, but he's also given them teaching and instruction. The Sermon on the Mount has already happened at this point in Jesus' ministry as well. And so by this time, he's also given them uh, how to pray. He's also taught them how to pray. And in that prayer includes the prayer, uh, give us this day our daily bread. So the disciples have seen the miracles, they've heard Jesus' instruction, and yet they remain having eyes that do not see and ears that do not hear. And then he moves and he gives them the history lesson. Picking up in verse 18, and do you not remember, in verse 19, 
He says, when I broke the five loaves of, five, of the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, 12. And the seven, ba- uh, seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. I love this passage. Did you notice how the great rabbi teaches his students here? He has them repeat the answer back to him. And so as I was thinking, and Jess and I were thinking on this passage, and I thought, this is a good exercise. And so I want you today, individually or as a family, spend time as a family around the dinner table, wherever it might be, and truly think back over your life. Think back over uh, your family's history, over the good times and the bad times. Revisit those significant moments and ask yourself, how God has worked in those moments. And verbalize them. Ask yourself that and then answer them together. Say it out loud, all that he has done. You see, these moments, they can be big or small, but all of them add up to prove God's unyielding and unending faithfulness. I can think of the big moments in my life, uh, like moving here, uh, obviously, is a huge moment, uh, and I, I've, I've absolutely loved it here in Richmond. I have to say, it wasn't, uh, Richmond wasn't on my radar. <laughs> never thought I'd end up here, but I could never be more thankful for it. Uh, but it was a difficult time that I left uh, when I was uh, in Boston. I was there for, for many years, but uh, at the end of my time there, I just left another church that I loved because I was joining the PCA. I wanted to go be in the PCA, and so I got plugged in with a church plant there. I came on staff for that church plant, working with the planting pastor. And less than two months into that, me joining there, the planting pastor left unexpectedly. And then only a few months after that, the, the whole thing kind of fell apart, and it was just a... It was a a really difficult experience. And I was, I was crushed. I, I felt uh, personally hurt uh, by a lot of the things that happened and how things went down and uh, was left doubting. And I was asking myself and thinking to myself these kinds of questions. How could this happen? <laughs> Lord, I was doing what you wanted me to do. I was joining the PCA. I left this amazing church behind. Why, why is this happening? What am I supposed to do now? What am I supposed to do next? And now I realize that I had been asking the wrong questions during that season. I was discussing matters of my daily bread when I should have been trusting in Jesus and going to him with these things. Did you notice that who were the disciples discussing this problem with? They were discussing the problem of having no bread with themselves, even though the bread of life was there right next to them. And that's what I was doing, and it was the lesson that I needed to learn from this passage, and I still need to learn. Has Jesus ever let me down? He hasn't. And I've only ever since gained more and more examples of his faithfulness. As painful as as that time in Boston ended, it brought me here. And what could have been better than the time I've had here? Just a wonderful, amazing church family, 
that I was plugged into, uh, getting to meet and to marry uh, my wife, Jess. Uh, God was so faithful to me, even though I was faithless to even pray or even hope or even dream for something as good as this. And yet I still can doubt. And now, now, what all does that mean? And I don't want to give off the impression that I'm, I'm preaching some kind of sermon where our lives are, are promised to be free of all kinds of pain and, and suffering, or as long as we suffer for a little bit, God promises to give us an equal amount of, of reward here in this life. And that's, that's not true. Jesus does not promise that we will be without pain or suffering in this life. He does promise us that we will never be without him. And that's his promise. And I absolutely adore this passage that we read from Joshua earlier. I, I, I want to read it for us again. Where Joshua says, Not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. And then we could put it the way that Paul does for us in Romans chapter 8. He says, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, with him, graciously give us all things? Now the question is, what are all those things? Is it reward? Is it prosperity in this life? Is it material things? Is it our lives are going to work out exactly the way that we want them to and dream and hope that they will? No. But he has given us Christ. That is everything that we need. We have relationship with him restored once again where we truly belong. We were created to be in relationship with God. And when that doesn't exist, our lives are left uh, meaningless and, and hopeless. But now that that's restored, it doesn't matter all the, all the accidental things around us. But we have relationship with him. Our lives have meaning. We have hope we have joy. We have peace. And so what do we do now? And where does that, that leave us? We take away from this passage that, that we watch out, that we beware, that this, this is the Christian life. The Christian life is a life of, of fleeing from sin, of, of, of watching out for sin, for anything that might distract us and lead us away from Christ. But when we inevitably do sin, and we wander from our way, then we remember. When we doubt, we look back at all that Christ has done for us. And so as, as individuals, as, as families, as, as the church, our lives will constantly be one of going back and forth between these two things, watching out and remembering. We're called to live the Christian life in the present. We're called to, to watch out, to beware, to flee from sin and, and temptation, to make no provision for the flesh. But there is an enemy, and the world is against us, and our own flesh is weak, and there will be times of doubt, there will be times of struggle, there will be times of sorrow, the times when we fall into sin, times when we were not vigilant to watch out, and, and we've let some of that leaven come moments. We don't despair, we don't look inward to ourselves, but we look to Christ, and we remember all that he's done. We look back to our past. We see all the times that God has proven himself to us, proven himself faithful to us. But more than that, we look further back 
We look to the cross. We look to that moment in history where Jesus once for all paid the price for our sins. He is our great high priest. His sacrifice has accomplished our redemption, and he's reconciled us now to himself. He is the bread of life. And so are you bringing all your cares and your troubles to him? Or have you forgotten that he's there? Are you trying to do it all on your own? And so watch out. Beware of that. Don't let anything take your focus away from him. And remember all that he has said and done. And go to him. Let's go to him now in prayer. Gracious Lord Jesus, uh, you, have, uh, you have paid it all. You have won the victory. Uh, you are uh, the bread of life. Uh, you are uh, the living water. All who come and, and drink uh, will not go away thirsty. All who feed upon you will not go away hungry. Uh, Lord Jesus, you are our all in all. Uh, you have you've done everything for us, and we are so uh, quick, so easy to forget all of these things, all of your benefits, all the wonders of, of your majesty and of your mercy and of your beauty. Uh, oh, Lord, may it not be true of us. May we not, uh, we, may we not be found uh, discussing amongst ourselves, but may we be looking to you for all things. Lord, thank you for all saints. May this church, may her elders, the deacons, all the members, may, may that be true of this church community, that they are looking to you and trusting in you for all things. May that be true of every single one of us as we leave uh, here later this day, as we go about the rest of this week to all the different uh, places and areas that you called us to. Uh, may we do nothing out of our own strength, but, uh, but bring it all to the foot of the cross. Bring it all to you, lift it all up to you, and trust in you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.